Summer is coming to a close, and one of the challenges of having four children, and actually, uh, you know, two older ones are a little older, so they're not as, as hard to entertain, but the younger two, one of the challenges of having that many children is keeping them entertained throughout the summer. The Berkeley County Public Library System actually had uh, a summer special on a few Fridays this summer where they had story time at a neighborhood pool and in Goose Creek, a nice neighborhood pool. And if you came to story time there, they would then let you swim in the pool free of no cost, no membership, no cost, anything like that. So it was a really good benefit. And so it was worth taking our three-year-old and our 10-year-old down there to hear some story time at the library and then get to swim in the pool for a couple hours, which was nice. So there was good benefits to it. You wouldn't normally have those benefits. If you think about it, uh, much of the decisions we make, when, when, when we make decisions, we're weighing uh, the costs and we're weighing the benefits. In fact, there's an entire exercise that organizations run called a cost-benefit analysis or something like that. Is what we're doing paying off? Do the, the benefits outweigh the costs? Yeah. But most people don't participate in any activity in which there's not something uh, by which they can benefit. If you, th if you think about that, e even in our relationships, e even in something, if you're doing something and you're serving someone, you still benefit in some way because you, you get the joy of serving. Uh, usually there's something that we can benefit in, and not necessarily in a selfish way, it can be a good thing. And even in our most basic relationship with God is beneficial to us because salvation through Christ gives us the most amazing benefit of all it gives us reconciliation to god but aside from the ultimate benefit the the daily christian life also gives us plenty of benefits by which we can draw upon day by day to to not only survive our life but to thrive in our lives colossians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 paul says for i want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this time together. Uh, Lord, we do pray for our students, our children, teachers, administrators who are coming, returning to school. Many of them have already returned. Some have returned Thursday, some are returning tomorrow. And so just we pray, pray your blessings upon them this first school year lord that seems to be somewhat normal in a few years we pray that you be with them and lord we thank you that we are here today where we can worship you 
in spirit and in truth. We can hear from you. We can hear your words today, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that, that my words are a reflection of your heart, that you speak through me, that you fill me with your spirit, and that we all hear what we need to hear today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you today three what I would consider extremely necessary, three extremely necessary benefits of following Christ. And when we get out of line and don't follow Christ, we, we lose some of these benefits. Three extremely necessary benefits of following Christ. Number one, now there is encouragement in following Christ. There is encouragement in following Christ. Verse 1 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul is struggling in his ministry. He is in prison writing this letter. Most of these believers he's never met. And he's writing them because he's concerned for them. He's concerned that they are receiving a false teaching that's in the community that was possibly coming into the church. The word for struggle is where we get our word for for agonizing, agony. He's in agony for them. What is the struggle? Again, it's the struggle that, that, that they would continue to grow in wisdom. He agonized that he could not be there to tell them and show why this false teaching was a heresy, why it was not good for them. He was trying to encourage them. Verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. So he agonized that their hearts would be encouraged. As the, as the teaching crept into the area, it would, it would wound their hearts, it would wound their minds, and he wanted them to be encouraged, not discouraged. Because false teaching leaves you, uh, leaves you discouraged. Because it takes a part of the gospel away. The gospel that Jesus Christ, Christ saved you, that you are saved through faith by grace, is encouraging. It's discouraging when someone tells you you have it wrong and you've got to do something else. Because it's a burden that you cannot do, you cannot perform. That's what all moralism or legalism or, or other religions will tell you is that you've got to do enough and maybe if you're lucky you'll do enough. Christianity says no, it was accomplished on the cross and through Jesus' resurrection on the grave, there's nothing more you can do other than receive salvation. So be encouraged. That's encouragement. When we step out of line with Jesus, we get discouraged. We forget about these promises that the Word gives us, that the reality of what Jesus has done for us. The false teaching they were receiving was the opposite of the gospel. It was saying, yes, Jesus kind of saves you, but the rest is really up to you. And Paul says, no, that's discouraging. So he's encouraging them that their salvation was all on Jesus' shoulders. And then he wanted their hearts to be united in love. United has this idea of being knit, being knit together. And you may have knitted something together. My grandmother used to crochet these little uh, hats, and she would crochet little, like, play toy footballs for me and things like that. And, and, if, the, and if, the, if the string got loose, the whole thing could, could kind of unravel. And so this false teaching threatened to unravel what was knit together? In fact, the Bible tells us that false that most church splits, disagreements in church, people leaving, always, always occurs with some element of false teaching. Some element of misunderstanding of what God has said. Some element of misunderstanding of what the Bible has said. But a church that is unified and in loving each other cannot be stopped. 
But a church that has wayward strings that are not united to the whole creates problems. And this false teaching was working its way into the church, and it could cause divisions. And so he's praying for them that the divisions would not be there, that they would maintain unification. So he is encouraging them. And then he says this, I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He desired for them to experience the true riches of fully knowing God. See, when we receive Jesus Christ, we, especially if you're a child, you understand that you need Jesus to forgive you your sins, to go to heaven. But you don't quite fully understand the full riches of the glory of following Jesus. The more you live with G, with, under Christ's lordship, the more you follow him, the more you realize the, the riches of being in Christ. Now we can, we can state that we understand this. We can state we believe this. But do we really believe that God is for us and not against us? When things go wrong, do you blame God? Or are you mad at God? Do you really believe that God is for us or not against us? Do we really believe that Christ is ruling on his throne? Do we really believe that God holds us in his hands? Because sometimes we don't act like we believe it. Why not? Because our hearts are not following Christ. We're not following him. We're not receptive to his lordship. But when we really believe this, we are to be encouraged. I read this week an article, and this author was saying that there's a difference between believing in Christ and believing in Christ. It's a difference between how you say that phrase. In other words, most people might believe in a God, but they don't trust him for their everyday decisions. You might say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you're not trusting him, seeking his counsel, seeking his wisdom in your everyday decisions. But believing truly in Jesus and really believing in him is a different way of living because you're trusting him with everything you do throughout the day. We turn on televisions, we watch the news, we scroll Facebook, we scroll social media. There's a lot to be discouraged about. If we weren't following Christ, I don't know how we would deal with it. I don't know how you deal with it without following Jesus, having an understanding that he's on his throne, having an understanding that this world here is not all there is, that he is actually in the world doing things for our good and his glory. So that is encouraging to follow Jesus because when you get out of step with Jesus, you will only be discouraged. People will promise things to you that will change your life. People will tell you what you need to do, what you need to be a part of, what cause you need to support. But they will all eventually discourage you because they're not rooted in who Jesus is. So there's encouragement in following Christ no matter how crazy our world gets. Secondly, there's also understanding in following Christ. If you want to know the world and really understand the world, and really understand the systems of the world, and why people do the things they do, and why things are organized the way they do, you've got to know your Bibles. Seriously. The Bible's not a, a history book. It's not a science book. right? It's not any of these type of books. It's a, it's a book about Jesus, but it still gives us insight as to why the world is the way it is. 
and what God's doing about it and how we can live in it. So he says in verse 3, In Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom, applied experience, another way of putting wisdom, applied experience, and knowledge. Paul desires that they discover in Christ all wisdom and knowledge that are hidden. He uses the word hidden here because he's kind of taking a shot at the false teaching that was affecting the area because the false teaching taught that you needed this hidden knowledge uh, of these deep things in order to be saved. And Paul states, I'll tell you what the hidden knowledge is. The hidden knowledge is Jesus Christ. That's what's missing is complete reliance and understanding on Jesus Christ. He alone is the secret thing. He alone is the hidden thing that you need. He alone is sufficient. If you scroll your feeds and watch your television, you're not going to hear that message anywhere. You might even get a little bit of, yeah, Jesus plus this. And that is wrong. It is Jesus alone. Jesus Christ. That's where the true understanding comes. That's where the encouragement comes. That's where the understanding comes. And he says this in verse 4. I'm telling you this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. See, there's good arguments people can make that might seem good about why your faith is wrong or why you shouldn't believe this or that. And some people are deluded. And he says, I'm telling you this so you will not be deluded. Don't be deluded by other systems of thinking or other, um, or other philosophies or other systems of telling you what you should believe. See, all attacks at Christianity aren't attacks on God. They're attacks on either the, the, the divinity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, or his ability to save people. Or both. If anyone tells you that Jesus is not enough to be saved, so just believing in Jesus is not enough to be a Christian. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus Christ is truly the only thing you need to be reconciled to God. All attacks of Christianity seek to deny his godship or his ability to save or both. So Paul says to go ahead and settle in your minds all your doubts, all your thoughts, because real understanding is knowing that all understanding comes from God. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.20. Paul is writing the Corinthian church who had a lot of problems. The Colossae didn't really have that many, but Corinth had all sorts of them. You can skim through it and you can, see, you can just read the headings and see the problems they had. He says this to the Corinthians. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? The scribes are kind of like the, the lawyers. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demands the signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's saying this. 
He's saying that, that the, the, the world has developed all these systems that you have to understand and realize in order to, to be saved or to thrive or whatever. And he's saying, no, you don't. It's actually a foolish thing that's all you need. And that is belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all you need. And it seems foolish to the world. But God has designed that because the foolishness of God is wiser than any man. And the weakness of God, God's weakest point, if you were to have one, is stronger than any man. So there's understanding and knowing how God is with that. See, Jesus is not found by reason. And he's not even found by searching. He's found by faith. He's found by believing in him. Verse 5, he tells them, For though I am absent in body, in other words, I'm not with you, I am with you, he says, in spirit. My spirit is there with your spirit. He says, and I'm rejoicing to see your your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He desires for them to have the understanding to grow firm in their faith. You ever shaken somebody's hand and they had a nice firm handshake, you know, like a yes ma'am, yes sir type of handshake? Not the one where they break your hand off. I've had those before. But one that's just nice and firm, right? And then you go and shake someone's hand, and it's kind of like this. You ever had that? You, you go to shake it, and you're like, oh, your hand fell apart on me, right? Yeah. It's kind of this limp kind of thing, right? It kind of makes you feel, whoa. It kind of catches you off guard if you've ever gotten a handshake like that. Oh, this person doesn't even realize that's what they're doing, right? kind of catches you off guard. He says... I want you, your faith, to be firm, not limp, not flaccid, firm, like a firm handshake. This, this idea of firmness has this idea of disciplined, and it's a military term, and it, and, it, and it has this image of a line of soldiers holding the line in battle. See, this, this Christian life is a spiritual battle, but we often think that we have to be David out there fighting the giants. He says, no, 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 what you really need to do is just hold the line. Stand firm, hold the line, because Jesus is the victor. He's the one out in front, not you. (laughs) I mean, he might use you every now and then to do that, but he needs you to hold the line, and that's where you need to be. That's the hardest thing to do sometimes is hold the line. Not run out ahead of God on the battlefield. He says, stand firm, hold the line. And proper understanding of the world and what's going on in our world happens when we're firm in our faith. See, we can hear crazy things on the news that we don't understand, but it shouldn't scare us. You know why? If we're really following Jesus, then we have a firm faith. Now, we might be fearful from time to time, but we can have the courage to face it. We can have the courage to face it through Jesus. The only way we can make sense of this crazy world that we live in is to view it from the proper lens of scripture and there's understanding when we follow Jesus. We start understanding things. And finally number 3, there is stability. There is stability when we follow Christ. Encouragement, understanding, stability. Something about encouragement I wanted to mention that I forgot. When you come to Jesus, when you come to church and worship, you should never be discouraged. Now, you can feel convicted of sin or something like that and want to change, but you should never be discouraged. You should always be encouraged because following Jesus gives you encouragement. 
gives you encouragement, and then number three, it gives you stability. Verse six, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, you've received him as your Lord and Savior, walk in him. What does that mean, to walk in Jesus? Walk in Christ, live in Christ, exist in Christ. It's this idea of a daily routine. The Christian life is a daily routine of following Jesus. Not getting out in front of him, following behind him. Walking him, a daily routine. You know, the word daily routine is super exciting, isn't it? No, it's not. It's routine. It's almost boring. That's the life Jesus wants for you. Did you know that? In the boring life of following Jesus, he gives you more excitement and freedom than you can ever imagine. Daily routine. See, when the pandemic shut down, you may remember this a few years ago, when it shut down for a few weeks, remember the president came out and said, 14 days to slow the spread. We thought, oh gosh, I hope I can get through this for 14 days. And then that turned into 45 days, and then it turned into three years, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, but when it shut down for the first few weeks, everyone's routine completely got out of whack. You remember that? I'm like, I can't leave the house to go to work? What? You know, now all of a sudden I'm like working on sermons, you know, in my bedroom with my three-year-old on top of me, all that kind of thing, right? All of our routines just went kind of haywire. You couldn't go to, to the restaurants. I remember that for a few weeks when they closed the beaches down. That's when my wife really got worried. Like, closed the beach? I remember that? For a few weeks they closed the beaches. Everyone's routines got out of whack during those first few weeks. See, there's been research done on the power of having a routine. A daily routine, we have them, whether we know or not, we don't, a lot of times we have them by accident. But if you have a daily routine, you have regular habits, it actually supports cognitive function in your brain. It even frees you up to be more creative. And it's found that, that having regular work processes allows workers even to spend less cognitive energy on recurring tasks, which can support focus and creativity on more complex tasks. So if you, if you have your uh, routine, like if you have your routine, for instance, like if you know what you're going to wear in the morning, you don't have to think about it in the morning. You get up, you pull it off your rack, you put it on. It's one less decision you have to make, one less thing you have to stress over. If you, if you have routines down, it's less you got to think about and more that you can then tackle and have freedom to live your life. That's why summer can be so hard on families. There's no routines. Yesterday morning, my, my wife said, I got to know what happened. I need to know what we're doing today. What's the plan for today? I said, well, we'll, we'll come up with one real quick, right? See, children thrive on routine. When they're out of school, routine suffers. So even though going back to school is tough, and even though you know, I'll be uh, driving a kid to school at like 6.45 in the morning or something like that tomorrow, it means, even though it means less freedom in some ways, it means more routine. More routine means healthier minds, healthier souls, healthier bodies as long as you're getting sleep. Walking in Christ is a routine. It's a routine. It's a routine to pray. It's a routine to, to read your Bible. Worship attendance, regular worship attendance, is a routine that you know. You, you know how you feel when you miss church. Miss a couple weeks in a row. It's like, man, I need to get back. You know why you think that? Because your body's telling you that. And your spirit's telling me, I need to get back. I need to get back in that routine. It's good for me to be back. It might be nice to take a vacation every now and then, but it's good to be back. I took last Sunday off. I was visiting my in-laws. It's good to be back here today. It's a good break, but it's good to be back. He says this, when you have this, verse 7, you're going to be rooted, 
You're going to be built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. And then you can abound in thanksgiving. You're rooted, you're, you're nourished by the rain that God gives us. You're the roots there, just like a tree. You're nourished and you're rooted and you're firm. You know, last year, John David was two and a half, and we were just trying to get him to get comfortable with pools because, you know, he's a beach baby. We live near the beach. We go to the beach all the time. You know, I, have, I had him in the pool yesterday, and he, and, he, and he tells me this a couple times. He got in the middle of the pool with his water wings on. He said, let's go back to shore because he, he still thinks it's the shore. Like, that's what he calls it. You know, I'm like, well, okay, I'll just go along with it. Even a few months ago, he had his water wings on because he's three. Next year, summer, I think he'll learn to swim. All of our children learn to swim at age four. In fact, they all could swim before he was born, which is why there's such a big gap between the three, seven-year gap. So having to relearn all these things. He's gotten better with his little water wings on. And uh, in, in just a few months ago, he didn't want me to even like let go of him. But now he gets to where he's just floating around by himself. Well, I mean, we're watching him, but doing his own thing in the pool and, and just floating around. He's, he's comfortable because he knows now. He trusts the water wings. He trusts that he's not going to drown. He's going to sit there, and he knows he can't touch the bottom, but he trusted he has that stability. I was thinking, watching him yesterday, I was thinking about my sermon, I was thinking about how in many ways those water wings act like Jesus in our lives. We may be floating in a pool, we're dog paddling, we're, we're treading water, you can only tread water for so long. Those water wings keep you afloat. No matter how deep the pool is, no matter how long you're in that pool, Jesus keeps you afloat. He gives you the stability you need. You take those wings off, what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to drown. You might make it for a few minutes. You might be able to hold your breath for a little bit. You might be able to tread water for a few minutes. But eventually, you get tired of doing it yourself and you sink. But John David could stay out there for hours and never get tired. Why? Because he's floating on the water. That's the kind of stability Jesus gives us. He gives us that. But you know, so many times we take our water wings off. We take them off before we should. He says, keep them on. And I'll give you that stability. Trusting in Jesus gives us that stability that we need. Heavenly Fathers, we close our time together today. We thank you so much for the encouragement we get from just coming here and singing your praises, the encouragement we get from hearing your word, the encouragement we get from our classes on Sunday mornings, the encouragement we get from fellowship and from just greeting one another. We thank you for that, and we know we miss it when we're gone. And that's a good thing. We know we realize we need it. But we thank you for that encouragement you give us. We thank you for that understanding, that true wisdom that only you give us. That even though we turn the television on, we see what's on social media, we still understand that even if we don't quite understand what's happening, that we can hold on to you. You give us better understanding. You let us know that, yes, this is our world, but you've prepared a better place for us. So we're going to live and thrive in this world until you come back. And, Father, we thank you for that stability you give us. That when we're floating in a pool, floating in the water, Lord, with no direction, not sure where to go, what to do. Now, we know we're not going to drown. We know we're not going to sink because you keep us afloat. And then we have the time. We have the ability then 
to ask you what's next, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for that, what you give us, those extremely necessary benefits that you give us as long as we're following you. Lord, let us every day make a routine to get up and follow you as you lead us. Lord, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that's never been reconciled back to you, they've never been saved, Lord, that you've never truly received your gift of salvation, they would do so today. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.